Hey, Jeff Fuller back with you, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church. Hopeforvermont.org is a website. You certainly can subscribe to our YouTube channel, Living Hope Wesleyan Church, Living Hope Wesleyan Church on YouTube, and now on Google Podcasts and iTunes as Living Hope Wesleyan. Hopefully you can make time, subscribe, check out those interviews. Sunday sermons, well, people to come watch with you. And just know that we're simply beggars trying to share bread with other beggars. Uh, I believe people's stories make our stories much better more informed and definitely less ignorant, more impactful. And right now we have a great story for you. This is Delwyn Island. Delwyn, good to have you. Hey, thanks, Jeff. Thanks thanks for having me on. And so I just interviewed your wife uh, last week, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ashley, she's written a book called Humankind, and uh, she was just very gracious with her time. Uh, talk to me a little bit about what is it like being married to an author? Oh, man. So... Uh... I think on the list of uh, titles that I ascribe to my wife, author is like one of the the last ones down only because I know, you know, I know her. She's she's my wife. You know, I, I smell her breath in the morning and all that. And so <laughs> and it smells great, by the way, just in case she's <laughs> listening to this. Um, yeah, I, I think um, my wife is such a total package, you know, so she's a writer. She's a. Uh, she's a preacher, you know, she's a coach, she's a pastor. And so I, um, rarely ever compartmentalize her different hats in that way. Uh, I'll say when she was writing the book, it was, um, it was interesting to, to, to see, like, she would go away to Starbucks at like six o'clock in the morning. Right. And she would write for however many hours and come back and read it to me. And I'm like, wow, like, how did, how does your brain think this way? And like, how, how are you able to put stories in, in this kind of compelling language? And so um, when I think about it through that lens, man, I, I just feel, uh, I feel like I am, I have the good fortune of being married to a woman who is extremely gifted um, mm-hmm. and who, who has an ability with words uh, that, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm jealous of her ability with words. And so yeah, yeah, that's what I say about that. How long have you been married? Seven years and two months. Congratulations. Good for you. And uh, now you guys serve at Mars Hill, MarsHill.org. I'm just gonna bring up the website here. Yeah, yeah. You on the first page, man. That's you as a worship pastor. Uh what does that mean to be a worship pastor? Oh man, that's a great question. So um uh how do I say like to break it down literally? And I, and I try to, I try to think about the position this way as a worship pastor or worship leader, like a a leader is, is someone who has influence or wields influence over other people. A pastor is someone who, uh, you know, comes from pasture. Like, so, I mean, there's this imagery of sheep, you know, it's, it's leading and, and herding and directing people or sheep into a certain direction. And worship is, uh, in a way you could look at it is to give God your very best or to, uh, to, uh, to be shaped by the thing that you give worth to. And so my role as a worship pastor, a worship leader is to influence people to be shaped by the thing that they give worth to, or to influence people to give God the very best. Uh, and so, and for me, that's whether I'm on the platform or whether I'm off the platform, like my my idea and my ideal in this role is to lead and influence people 
to give God their best, whether that be in a song, whether that be, you know, breaking down walls in their hearts in the in the worship gathering, or whether that be in a one-on-one kind of conversation, uh, just um, trying to uh, to lead people, uh, uh, try my level best to lead people beyond certain walls so that they can give God every every bit of them. During so, COVID, what does that look like? Great question, man. I think so. We we did 28 weeks of live stream, like 28 weeks of solely live stream. So when when everything shut down, we shut down with with the rest of the country and the rest of the world. And um, and and during during it in a live stream setting was challenging. I mean, anybody that's watching this, Jeff, you're a pastor, you know, every preacher, every worship leader can can probably attest it was challenging. And I think from a worship leader perspective. I never shied away from speaking about the the elephant in the room, so to speak, or you know, like to 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 identify. Um, you know, you you might be watching this and you're you know around the breakfast table or you're in your family room and your kids are running around because so often that would be happening for me. You know, we would pre-record our thing and then I'm trying to watch and you know my kids want to watch Bubble Guppies or you know something like that and so. Um, I just try to, as best I can, forecast and uh, and really speak to the reality that that people might be experiencing at that very moment, and uh, and try to let people off the hook for having to be perfect, but still encouraging them to give God their best. Um, I remember there was there was one week where uh, I kind of I called it out. I called out my house church, not by name or whatever, but just saying I know singing in front of the TV is awkward. Um, it is, is, is really weird. And, um, and I think God understands that awkwardness and isn't looking for you to kind of push past so you can prove that you can do it. Um, but there's a, a posture of our heart that we can all take. And so I think it's been, uh, just using more language and, 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 uh, trying to see people as individuals rather than seeing, you know, a, a corporate gathering, which we would often uh, be in. And I think uh, outside again, like out of the platform, I started a running group with uh, with some guys from my church. Uh, a couple of ladies have shown up, and so before and after the runs, you know, we've just talked. You know, kind of talked about life and uh, the people from my from my worship team. Uh, I've done breakfasts and coffees and Zoom meetings and things like that. I mean, just to um, just to kind of help people stay afloat and to uh, to to keep everybody connected. So yeah. for those watching on YouTube, living hope Wesleyan church, living hope Wesleyan church on YouTube, subscribe behind me. There's a picture of you in Advent hymn highest yeah. when we get, uh, Christmas, Christmas Eve services. How different is it going to be this year versus past years? Oh my gosh, man. Uh, <clears throat> you know, I think when you think about the Advent, right, the season of waiting, um, I think it'll have a different kind of connection. Like this season will 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 actually be in Advent, you know, and and whether that's waiting to get back to whatever, um, waiting to get back to what you know a normal, or to look forward to everybody being together. Uh, and so I think hopefully in our church, like we'll we'll kind of dive into that and not. Um, you know, not make promises that everything is going to be sweet because none of us can guarantee that. Um, but to actually 
live into what it what it means to wait for the arrival of something, whether that be a day where COVID doesn't exist or a day where we, you know, we can all uh, put aside our differences and and cope with it. Um, and then from a practical standpoint, I don't know, man. Like I, I doubt that our church will be filled to capacity for like a Christmas service or any of our Advent weeks leading up. Um, yeah, so it's 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 an interesting thing, you know, especially for those of us that have, you know, I've been doing church work, you know, church ministry my entire adult life. And so to think of, a, you know, a worship gathering that may have, you know, a handful of people in it is is uh, is different. So. Oh, for sure. Delwyn Island, Delwyn underscore Island on Instagram and Twitter serves at Mars Hill, Mars Hill dot org. Delwyn, where did you grow up? South side of Chicago. South, South side of Chicago, man. Yeah. What was that experience like? Did you have a pretty strong family structure or school hard knocks? Tell me about uh, growing oh, up. Oh, man. I think it was it was a mixture of both. Um, so I grew up uh, for the majority of my life, you know, with a single mom. Had a, a sister, twelve years older, and so in some ways I was kind of an only child. Whenever I was five or six years old, she went to college. Um, I had a pretty large family. My mom has six brothers and sisters, or she had five sisters and one brother. Um, but even even within that, I mean, like there was, you know, you had your smattering of like addiction and and things like that. And my father, uh, my father met his end when I was seven. Um, he had a heart attack and, uh, and, but, but he had some addiction issues and things like that. And so I, I come from a family, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to cope with all of this stuff really just like in, in recent years, but I come from a family that, uh, uh, like, like all of our families had, uh, these beautiful moments and, you know, full of rich and beautiful stories and also had some really, really complicated and, um, and and hard experiences and hard history that was really uh um i guess characteristic of you know the environment that that we were in you know you're talking about inner city it's called inner city chicago back then they would have called it ghetto or you know like uh and so my upbringing was with this family that was this you know beautiful concoction of complexity and yet my mother was a woman of faith um, we didn't have much money. And so the environment that we lived in, I had to, it was kind of a school of hard knocks environment. So I had to, you know, learn how to do public transportation and learn, learn who you could talk to and learn, you know, if this guy says, you know, Hey man, let me, let, let me talk to you real quick. You know, you know, not to mess with that guy, you know, you know, what side of the street to walk on and what side to, uh, to avoid. And so, um, you know, I was telling somebody recently, my life could have taken uh, drastic turns and and it was the grace of God, uh, you know, bringing people into my life to give me some some coaching and direction that uh, that have ultimately led me to where I am now. Hmm. Hey, Delwyn. So uh, when did your love of music begin or when did you find out being a worship pastor now was music an outlet or did you do other things when you were younger just to uh get those feelings out, whether it's sports or whatever have you. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I grew up again, uh, Chicago in the eighties and nineties. And so you're talking about Michael Jordan, the bulls. Uh, so I played basketball and I thought I was going to be in the NBA, but I'm five, seven, you know, 
I'm a strong five, seven and a half. Um, but yeah, man, music for me started. Um, I remember my earliest memories of music were like my babysitter playing, you know, Anita Baker and Luther Vandross and Stevie Wonder while she was cleaning up. And mm -hmm. I remember like sitting in a high chair, you know, being being a two years old um, and just hearing these dusties, man. And uh, so that was really my introduction and my love for it, I think, really sparked then. And uh, and then I sang in church and things like that, you know, from being very young. So music was always a part of my uh, a part of my life. And, you know, I was destined to be connected with it in some way. Um, grew up, you know, got the chance to sing in, in a choir that that toured the country and went overseas and things like that. And so um, music was always there. I didn't know that it would be a career thing. You know, I didn't know that I would end up being anybody's worship pastor or worship leader um, for a career. I wanted, you know, I wanted to work in in money like I, I was on the trajectory to be a stockbroker. Um, and then I ended up switching my major and uh, and the rest. Yeah, there's a there's stories tied to that, man. But uh, God, God got me in a in a way, and uh, yeah, and really opened up my eyes to what His plan were. Did you feel natural in front of people singing, or did people have to like really help you discover that you did have a talent and uh, you could be comfortable in front of people? Is that something you naturally were? Man, best in you. That's a good question. So I think I was a I was a bit of a class clown. So that, I mean, with that being said, I, I felt natural acting out in front of people, you know, like doing my thing in front of people. But I remember the first like solo that I ever did in church. I sang this song called Tomorrow by the Winans. And I grew up in a small Baptist church. And, you know, I mean, I just had my head down the whole time, you know, with this microphone and you know, and people encouraged me that way. So I, I didn't I didn't feel comfortable doing anything seriously in front of people. You understand what I'm saying? Like as a as a as a kid. And then, like I mentioned, I got the chance to be a part of this choir that, uh, amongst other things, one of the things that it taught was confidence and being confident in, in who you were. And so as I was like, you know, preteen and teenage years is when I spent my time there. And, and that helped me to grow my confidence of being in front of people. That's really good. Uh, for me, I've always loved music, but I am not musical at all. I have zero rhythm and my daughter tries to get me to do TikTok. I think just <laughs> more than anything, but um, hey, so you mentioned that you're five, seven and a half. That's taller than Muggsy Bogues. Uh, yeah, counts, man. The NBA yeah, yeah. playoffs just finished. Are you a LeBron fan, a LeBron hater? Do you appreciate LeBron, or are you just a Jordan guy through and through? You know, man, I, I've dealt with this with my boys a lot lately. So I love LeBron James. Um, I resonate with his story, you know, coming from uh, – he came from Akron. I'm from the south side of Chicago. Single mom, like the whole, the whole thing, like uh, – he had men come around in the form of coaches and things. And so I resonate so much with his story. And I think as a basketball, as a basketball guy, he is, he's a savant, man. He's, you know, one of the greatest athletes to ever live. Um, but I think, you know, like there's this goat conversation and I mean, you don't, you, <sighs> Michael Jordan, man, Michael Jeffrey Jordan is, 
is the GOAT, like is the greatest of all time. If 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 a ballot had to be, you know, set up and you had to vote for one, for me, Michael Jordan would be it. Um, and I and if it weren't that, which in reality is you know, it's not that you don't just have to vote for one person. Uh I I think we have been blessed to see excellence at that high of a level from somebody in the 80s and 90s and then now in the 2000s in the way of LeBron James. Yeah. Um, hey, B, I want to keep moving on, but man, I just love basketball so much. Being from where you are, uh, what are your thoughts about the uh, Detroit Pistons now that you are serving in Grand Rapids, Michigan? I don't have thoughts about the <laughs> No, no. Uh, I've watched a couple Pistons games, but the reason is, is D Rose, man. Yeah. So right. Eric Rose is, is on the Pistons and, you know, Derek Rose represents the shy and, uh, and I'll ride for D Rose just like people would ride for, for LeBron. So I'm not a Pistons fan by any stretch, but I'm a Derek fan. All right. Just like most people, most people aren't Laker fans. They're just LeBron James fans, man. That's fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Hey, Owen, behind me, uh, again, if you're listening on YouTube, yeah. Wesleyan Church, your daughter that you uh, just finalized the adoption. Just going through what you've been through, you alluded to uh, LeBron James and how he grew up. How important was it for you to give back in such a phenomenal way like this? And what did that conversation look like, having two children of your own, taking on a third in diapers? I mean, it's a huge commitment, but it's a great thing. Yeah, yeah, man. We got Journey when she was uh, she was a little less than three months, but she was born nine weeks premature. So when we got her, she was a tiny, tiny, tiny baby. Um, she was really newborn size. Um, so our, our adoption story, and I don't know if Ashley talked much about it, but Ashley was an advocate and I was very much like, no, we got two kids already, you know, we, and, and she actually threw out the idea of adoption when our son, who was our second kid, he was like six weeks old, man. And I was like, I said, babe, you crazy. We're not going to adopt. Um, and so I really, um, early on, and I would say even now, like I, I never looked at it as a giving back kind of thing. Um, but I did start to pray that God would, God would do a work in my heart and move me closer to where Ashley was. And that really was the, the start of it. And so he did just that. I mean, just a series of only God things uh, got me to the point of going, OK, you know, let's go to an adoption informational meeting. And then we started classes. And before you know it, like we had we had raised money to pay all of the fees. And one of my prayers was, God, if this is for our family. I want every single dime to come from you, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. um, and. And we started doing fundraising. And Jeff, I tell you, every everything that we needed to bring our baby home, God used other people to give. And so I was like, you know, there, there's no way that I could ever turn back from that. And so, yeah, and then we got our journey bug. And man, the nurse, uh, the nurse at the adoption agency put her in my arms and uh, she's it was like she was she was meant to be with us and you know yeah. it's hard it's hard it's hard for me to put her down like she wakes up in the morning dada dada that you know she's it, it was like she she knows that it that i was the hardest sell 
Um, but she is like my little Siamese twin, you know. See, so this is a little bit, I guess, convicting for me. I was adopted, as were my brother and sister, three different Korean families adopted by a family here in Vermont. And so wow. we do not look like our native Vermont parents, but uh, just knew that love. Our son just uh, went to college, Grand Rapids Community College, actually. Oh, cool. And our daughter is a um, junior in high school. So my daughter and my wife have talked about fostering or adopting and me being the one that has benefited from being adopted, I'm just like, oh, put on the brakes. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And just hearing how you prayed about it is just phenomenal uh, to see. Now, I just think that being a worship pastor, God uses all of our experiences, but having adopted journey yeah. has opened your eyes more to leading in worship, whether it's understanding that we've been adopted into his family or mm -hmm. just the life experience of what you've been through. How is it enhanced as you lead people into worship? That's a great question, man. And, you know, adoption, I think, in so many ways has informed my theology and mm -hmm. uh, and given me a, uh, a different level of uh, compassion. And I think it's it's not just the compassion for my daughter but understanding that there's so many more people that are involved in her story, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think more than anything, adoption has given me a, a, a higher and more thorough perspective of story. And, um, you know, and when I think through that lens, I think about our daughter's birth mom and her birth dad, you know, two, you know, we don't know who her birth dad is. And so this is, this is somebody who, you know, to us as a stranger. And yet I believe wholeheartedly that, that God has um, planted his DNA in him and in her birth mom. And so uh, I think more than anything, it's, it's, uh, hmm, it's made me think about people's stories that I don't know, but also giving me this understanding that our stories are all intersected mm -hmm. Um and, and the person of Jesus Christ, you know, like we all carry this, this image of God in us. And so, and then as a worship leader, man, I just, when I, when I look at people and our congregation is, you know, I don't know if it's the same for yours there, man, but our congregation, um, in terms of political beliefs and social, socioeconomic status and all of these things, it couldn't be further left and right. And so, um, Maybe a bit of understanding journey story um, to this point gives me a higher level of compassion uh, when I look out and, you know, and I see people whose stories I really don't know, uh, but uh, always feel compelled to, to call them to the common denominator, which is the Christ. Yeah, that's so good. And uh, your wife writes in her book, Humankind, uh, she broaches the topic about this election year. Yeah. How, how have you been able to communicate with your kids? Um what a time in history we're going through. Um, yeah. seem to be a little bit younger than my children, but still um, we're living in crazy days even in the middle of a pandemic 2020 election year, yeah. all the social injustice. H how do you have that conversation? You know what, man, we, we have in a lot of ways decided to shield our kids from, I'll talk about the social injustice part. Um, we have black kids you know, and, uh, and, and their life, our hope is that there's that the statement I'm getting ready to make won't be true, but if history informs tomorrow, then it will be in their lives. 
they will have no shortage of opportunities to see oppression and or racism and or white supremacy and injustice face to face, you know, and uh, whereas their neighbors and the kids that they go to school with, um, we live in predominantly white neighborhood, their their neighbors and the other kids, um, their parents will have a choice on whether they let them see certain things on TV or whether they tell them certain things. And they could very well go through their lives without, you know, their friends could very well go through their lives without knowing the things that are happening right now. And we've made the decision, you know what, life life is going to happen to our kids as they are African-American, you know, young men and women. And so we don't want to rob them of of innocence at this point. Um, But we have been... Uh, we've been good about talking to them about the pandemic, you know, and letting them know that it's a global health thing. Uh, and then when we pray at night or when we pray, you know, over meals, one of my uh, kids always prays that social distancing will end and that uh, coronavirus will go away and that it'll never come back. Uh, and so, but yeah, man, the um, to talk to talk about you know police shootings you know Brianna Taylor or Jacob Blake I mean we can go through the list uh, that that's a hard thing for for us to introduce our kids to at this point because then they'll go well Daddy what if they did that to them because they had skin like us right. would they do that to us and and we don't want to. We don't want to introduce that level of fear to our kids, that level of trauma to our kids this early in their lives. Hey, when did you become a Christian? Oh man, from as early as as I can remember, I've been I've been a church boy, um, and then I think uh, I had a, I guess kind of a second conversion when I was around seventeen. Hmm. It was all around the idea of forgiveness. Um, so yeah, when I was seventeen, God, uh, yeah, I was struck again by this amazing, scandalous gift of grace, and uh, and since then I've I've tried my level best to to live my life according to that grace. And Delwin, talk to me a little bit. Uh, you mentioned switching your or uh, looking from finance into worship leading. When did that finally hit that God was going to use you in vocational ministry using the talents that He created you with? Oh, bro. Oh, man. So um, I I had a and I figured it was kind of a, a call to ministry when I was 15. And again, this was before I even had my second conversion around this idea of grace. Uh, my partner, Dan, is, is getting ready to come in in our kind of little studio at work. But yeah, will it will it disconnect me from this? When I was when I was 15, I um, I was at a church in Kalamazoo, and there was a guy up leading worship. It was Dan right there. Uh, <laughs> there was a guy up leading worship, and um, I didn't even know what it was. Like I didn't know that he was worship leading, but I just knew I was compelled by it. And I told my buddy, I said, "Man, I think that's what I'm gonna end up doing in my life." And and I was 15. I didn't play an instrument or anything like that. I just kind of had a knowing. Um, but then to fast forward to me being, uh, I think I was 26. So this is 11 years later. And I'd already worked part time in my church. And, you know, I was I had finished my degree and everything. So I knew that um, 
music was in me and and I was working I was still working in finance. I was a, a branch manager at a at a bank and I sat in a uh, in a Bible study in my old church and I had this moment with God, man. It was it was like this encounter where everybody else in the room disappeared and I felt like I was in a space with just me and God and I heard the audible voice of God telling me it was time to leave my job. Wow. And so, Jeff, man, I took out my, you know, my Blackberry and I started an email to my boss and I said, I know this is going to sound crazy, but at the end of 30 days, I need to resign my position and told him I didn't know what was going to happen. I just knew that God was calling me into something different. And so I resigned and I didn't have a job. I didn't know what was going to come. And then uh, I got contacted by um, by a friend of mine who worked at Willow Creek Community Church in, uh, in Chicagoland area. And then that you know, that the ball got rolling there. And at the beginning of 2012, I started full time at Willow as a worship pastor. And so since since January 3rd, 2012, I've been, you know, full time working in ministry. And uh, and it really all came from, you know, me choosing not to harden my heart when the Lord was telling me it was time to move. Oh, that's so good. Uh, Delwyn Island, Delwyn underscore Island for Instagram, <laughs> Delwyn Island on uh, Facebook. Hey, so when I think about worship leaders, music pastors, directors, sometimes I do wonder, do you guys think it gets old singing the same old song and that's what prompts you to write a new song? Or do you feel like God blesses you to have the lyrics, have the music to compose something new? How do you find that balance with giving uh, credit to the old and really lifting it up, but also that urge for something new? What does that healthy rhythm look like? Yeah, that's a great question, man. So I think uh, I think there's a combination of uh, a grace that God gives to simple people uh, to be able to write songs for the masses. And so, like, I think there's a combination of grace and really good publishing, you know what I mean? Like really and, and marketing to be able to get songs out there. And so I think every song is written for a moment in time. And then, you know, it it could be timeless and then it, you know, continues to have legs. And so to the thing about do songs get old? Um, I think a lot of songs just kind of have cycles, man, um, where uh, something can come out and it be hot. And then 10 years later, I don't know something about it just kind of resurges. I think of songs like um, 10,000 Reasons. <clears throat> Or uh, in Christ Alone, you know, written in the early 2000s or late 90s, and and uh, and how a song like that has this lasting quality. And so, to me, uh, and this is just me personally. This this isn't every worship leader or musician. I think uh, I give a certain level of honor to the writers of these songs, and uh, and and feel like if if they had a moment in church or in culture then then these songs will eventually kind of resurface again but then there's a side of me that that is a as a writer and i was writing songs before i was you know before i was leading worship uh and i think to write for your local community yeah for your church community um you have to know your community you know Mm -hmm. what i mean and so uh when when ashley and i were at willow uh willow kind of 
fell on some some turbulent times. You know, things were in the news, and I don't want to hash all of that out. But our our team got together, and we did these worship. Uh, almost camps, so to speak, where like our response to it was going to be worship. And out of this came some beautiful songs that um, that really uh, encapsulated our response to the to the chaos that was happening within our culture. And it was the words and uh, that, that our church needed to sing. And so I think when I think if you're a writer or worship leader that decides to write um yeah, just just because you feel like your church needs something different, but you're not really tapped into the heart of the church, mm-hmm. then the songs you write may fall flat. Like they 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 may not exactly hit at the heart of what your community is is looking for or what your community is feeling. But if you're tapped into the community and uh and and you have the skills of writing a song and God has given you that grace, then I think uh, I think you got something there. Not every worship leader is a songwriter. Yeah. And, you know, and so like, I, I think the songwriting thing is is a craft and a skill that has to be honed over time. Um, but when those two things converge, you know, worship leading and songwriting converge, I think that's, that's something beautiful. So one more question I want to press into that a bit more. My friend's a professor, and uh, he just talks about the incredible responsibility of music to stay true to the truth of God's word. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it seems to get watered down or oversimplified. What type of responsibility do you have when you're choosing songs for a Sunday morning or a worship set that really reflect reflect the truth of the gospel versus what seems to be popular in some people's eyes or minds? Yeah, man, uh, Jeff, that's another great question. I think uh, the the lens, I have a couple lenses that I try to look through. Uh, the overall is <clears throat> uh, I have a responsibility to put words into people's mouths, right? As a worship leader, we're asking people to sing songs and the songs that they sing, like we're putting something into their mouths and whatever you put into your mouth, even, even as food, it starts to form something in you. And so that can be, you know, you eat broccoli or you eat spinach, you know, like you get those muscles big and strong. If you eat donuts all the time, then ultimately like it's going to make you unhealthy. And so I try to look at it from that perspective. Are the songs that I am putting in people's mouths, what what is it forming? What is it developing in them? And so I think about it, that kind of as an umbrella. And then I think about um, I think about the context of our church. You know, we have these these directions that, you know, make up our mission statement. Um, and so I go, if this is a part of our theology, are the songs that I'm doing, do they align with the, the-, the theological beliefs and the direction of our church? Then I go, okay, if they do, all right, let's go to the next step. And then it's this idea that uh, of, of encouraging each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, right? And so is it, is it a psalm? Is it, is it something that reflects uh, joy? or lament or remembrance or a call to worship. If it falls in those categories, okay, we can do that. Uh, is it a hymn? Is it is it something that is ascriptive and talks about the wonderful character of God and heaps praise at his feet? If it does, then yes, we can do that. Is it a spiritual song? Is it something testimonial? Is it something that uh, that is personal? That is, you know, I once was blind, but now I see, you know, is, is does it talk about the intersection of our human life with the super the supernatural grace uh of the one that saves our souls if it does 
then I then I look at it as you know that's fair game. Uh, and then, then personally, I'm sorry. I think about can I exegete the song? Like can I break the song down in the, in the middle of it or at the beginning and say you know this song connects with this passage or it connects with this timeless truth. Uh, and and if all those things check out, then you know then I feel like it's okay to choose one. Oh, that's great. Uh, Delwin, thanks again for making the time. We have a couple questions, then I'll get you help. Your wife, <laughs> Ashley Island, she has her own website, ashleyisland.com. She's written the book, Humankind. When that book came out, which I just uh, finished listening to, and I was very appreciative that she read the book herself, but was there anything that surprised you, or did you have that conversation before the book came out of everything that was in it? Uh, nothing surprised me. So I was there for, for every iteration of it. Um, it took her a couple of years to write it. Yeah, and yeah. so from, from inception to, to release, um, and all of, it's a, the book for those that haven't read it and please go get it Amazon or audiobooks, you know, wherever you, uh, kind of get your book purchases. Um, <clears throat> it reads like a memoir. Yeah. And, uh, and she had shared all of those stories with me before. Um, not just for the, the purpose of, you know, letting me know what was going in the book, but just in the course of our relationship, um, she had shared all of those stories. So nothing was surprising. Um, yeah. What, what about the broken, uh, petroleum jelly? Um, does she still have that on the nightstand to remember, remember, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. Read the book, make sure you go get a copy of it. You know what, man? Yeah. Every Every couple, you know, every married couple goes through those turbulent, trying years. And I remember that, man. Our first couple years were the first year particularly was was really challenging. But uh, that that thing of uh, petroleum jelly is gone. And, you know, that day is gone. Grace upon grace, man. Oh, that's a fact. I'm trying to learn that every day. Uh, Delwin. A couple questions and then you're done. Thanks again for a gracious um, sure. time. And uh, I just want to ask with, um, I'm a Wesleyan pastor. Wesleyan is the denomination we really promote. We are open to females being a ministry pastor. Mm-hmm. I listened to someone that said that uh, if your wife is a pastor, that's excellent and to be applauded. But still, if you're the husband, you're still the head of the house. Mm-hmm. How do you make sure you are the head of the house when sometimes she's your pastor? Yeah. Great question again, man. I think, um, you know, what Ashley and I do, our occupations as lead pastor, worship pastor is, is something that we do and it's a reflection of who we are, but it's not all of who we are. And so when, when we are in the space of work or community and church, I give deference to her as um, I give deference to her as as my lead pastor, and when we're in our home, um, she gives deference to me as the leader of our house. And I think it, it's this idea um, the Apostle Paul talks about mutual submission. And I think we've we're in a position to have taken it to a different level, you know, because in the workspace she is uh, she's my superior. Um, but I also know her very personally, you know, and very intimately and, and and I'm aware of the places where she would identify as being broken. And she's aware of the places that I identify as being broken. And so 
you know, what people may not see when she gets a hard email or, you know, when she gets critical feedback, um, she comes home and, and we discuss those things. And it, and it's in those moments that I have the responsibility, the, the highest responsibility of encouraging her. And again, like I, we talked about at the beginning, being a worship pastor, like encouraging her and leading her to give God her very best uh, in, in the role that he's, um, that he's graced her for. So, yeah, I, mean, it, I think it's it, I have to handle it with a, a certain level of sensitivity. And really uh, yeah. yeah, really good. and uh, Very wise. Um, I'll tell you your wife's answer after I ask you this question. If you were uh, to play a role in a fictional movie, fictional movie, would you want to play the hero or the villain? Wow. If I was in a fictional movie, I probably would want to play the villain. There you go. <laughs> yes, man. I would want to play the villain. I think villain villains uh villains make the story interesting. Well, I would agree. And uh my wife and I both say we'd want to play the villains, and your wife actually said the same thing. I yeah. always thought that uh Captain Jack Sparrow would be like the perfect answer because he's a villain but he's kind of the hero but um, <laughs> how that all goes yeah man Delwin, thank you so much for making the time congratulations on the uh the adoption of journey your family what you guys are doing at mars hill um i just mentioned to uh your wife and certainly to you that when we visit my son uh for thanksgiving it would be great to take you guys out for a uh, lunch or a cup of coffee and just to yeah. No, yeah, no, my daughter would love to babysit your kids for free. And so we can make all that happen. But we would love that. Uh, more than anything, just thank you for being faithful and uh just for growing and leading others into into the throne room of Jesus. And uh thank you sincerely. Thank you, my brother. And again, that's uh Delwyn Island. Uh my name is Jeff Fuller, pastor at Living Hope Wesleyan Church. You can subscribe on YouTube, Living Hope Wesleyan Church, YouTube, Living Hope Wesleyan Church, and Google Podcasts or iTunes, Living Hope Wesleyan. We'll get this out shortly. We thank you all for listening. We just want to be God's hands and feet, showing his love in a practical way because, well, we're simply beggars sharing bread with other beggars. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks again. <laughs>